Let's give thanks as we get started this morning and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are a forgetful people. Your mercies are made new each and every morning, and yet we regularly do not show gratitude and thanksgiving for you. We remember to give thanks at this time of the year, but Father, we pray that this word that comes to us this morning and by your spirit that implants it within us that we would become a thankful people like the dew on the grass every morning that we would too give thanks to you for our great salvation that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord for it's in his name we pray amen you know week by week being up here and I think Pastor Jake can attest to it as well is there's a throng of people here some from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And it is a glorious sight to be up here and, and see it all. Uh, and there are many here that weren't born here, uh, didn't grow up here, and may not know this American tradition of thanksgiving. And so those of us who do, we kind of take it for granted as well. So we're both kind of in the same boat this morning. And I want to just take a little bit of time to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving and then look at it biblically speaking as well. It, two years ago, Gayla and I went to Cape Cod, which is that little arm of Massachusetts. It's where Plymouth is. We flew into Boston and we got in a car and we drove out. And my wife is a master planner for all types of vacations that we go on. She's got all the places. It's all typed up. If you ever want to know about a place, and we've been there, talk to my wife, she'll give you pages of things to do. But the first stop that we had was in Plymouth. Now those who are born here in America or grew up and studied in elementary school, you'll know that Plymouth is the place that the Mayflower docked. And we, the first stop was Plymouth Rock. And it is a rock. It was a piece of, of stone that is said to be what the people stepped on as they got off and dismounted or disembarked, I should say, from the Mayflower. And so we went to Plymouth and we saw that first, and there it is, a rock, and it says 1620 on it. And so from there we went to Plymouth Plantation, and we went to the place where there's old buildings, homes and barns and things like that, and the people there are in character, uh, and the culture of that period in the early 1620s. And so you could have conversations with them. But in looking around, the realization struck me as I saw that Plymouth plantation area. It isn't the best looking piece of land. I mean, I, I, no offense, but I thought, this, this, is, this is tough. I mean, the gardens are there that they're using and planting and, and showing what the culture's like. But that first winter was a rough winter for the pilgrims that came over to start a new life, being persecuted in England. And after a harsh winter that took almost half of their lives, they had a harvest, an autumn harvest, and they had a celebration that is the beginning of Thanksgiving for us in America. It wasn't called Thanksgiving. It was a celebration harvest. 
And so periodically throughout the years, we would have thanksgivings. We'd have presidents make a proclamation. But it wasn't until Abraham Lincoln that put forth a proclamation to make it an annual event to have thanksgiving. And why am I saying all of that? Well, we have a deep tradition of thanksgiving here in America. But we're not the first to give thanks. Thanksgiving is a principle of Scripture. Psalm 100 speaks about thanksgiving. It is the one psalm that calls itself a thanksgiving psalm. But it's not the only one that speaks of thanksgiving. Psalm 118 will start and end with bookends. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. We are to be a thankful people. And so we look at this psalm this morning and hopefully it is a reminder for all of us to give thanks. If you look at this psalm, it begins with make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And any good student of Scripture would ask the question, why? There's really no context in this particular psalm to kind of set it up. I mean, you can read through it and you could grasp that we are supposed to give thanksgiving for who God is, what He's done for us, and how we express that thanksgiving. The question is why? I had a professor for um, poets and wisdom literature, and the Psalms are laid out in a particular order within the Psalter. And what you don't see before going into this particular psalm is Psalms 93 through 99. And it is amazing that these psalms speak about God as king. It speaks about the kingdom of God. It says the Lord reigns. And Psalm 100 is the crescendo It is the climax of God is our creator, he is our king, and he is totally worthy of our praise, our worship, and our thanksgiving. Is to worship God. It's amazing, if you really think about it, that we don't give thanks often enough. We don't make it a priority. We don't give a proportionate thanks for all the blessings that we have and have received from God. Charles Spurgeon says, we receive a continent of mercies and only return an island of praise. Lamentations tells us that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. But how often I wonder if you're like me. You take for granted that the sun comes up each and every morning. And it sets each and every night. That God looks over this whole celestial ball. What we know as earth. Psalm 24 says, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all its inhabitants, it's all His. And He does not hold back His hand from giving us goodness. 
each and every day, each and every morning. And so I hope and I pray that this text says as we go through this will help us to not only experience the goodness of God, but to have grateful hearts continuously for the goodness that He shows to us. Psalm 100 is interesting. It has seven imperatives throughout it. But, but these aren't just a command. They are imperatives, so they are a command, but, but they are an encouragement. They are an exhortation. They are an instruction to us, letting us know who God is and what He has done. And, and welling up out of our hearts should be gratitude for that. And so this, this psalm before us, five verses, very short, breaks up into four parts or four stanzas. Verses one and two tell us about three ways to give thanks. Then verse three, two reasons to give thanks. Verse four, the third stanza is a renewed invitation to give thanks. And then finally, verse 5 is the character of God that we give thanks to. Those will be our four points as we go through. We sang this morning, O for a Thousand Tongues, written by Charles Wesley. And, it, and it's interesting, I listened to um, my mentor, Dan Duncan, earlier this week, and he talked about in relationship to this particular psalm, how he believes that Wesley said, you know what, I only have one tongue. And, and that can't possibly show the gratitude of my heart. So, oh Lord, how I wish I had a thousand tongues to praise your name and give thanks. And I think that's true. W- William Cooper said this, we're a pray- prayerful people. I, we are quick to ask for prayer. We, we are quick to pray, particularly when things don't go so well. But he says there's an imbalance in our praise life, our thanksgiving life. He says this, our continual prayer shows that we're beggars. And our con- continual thanksgiving shows that we are debtors. And debtors we are. But we are forgetful of those things. So we will have these Four points this morning, the three ways to give thanks. Thanks, a renewed invitation to give thanks. And then the character of God to which we give thanks to. Well, let's begin. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. The first way we thank God is by making a joyful noise. Literally, that imperative there is to give a shout. That one wonders if that's the definition. Are we supposed to behave like we're at a football game and, and then come in here and just raise our arms and shout out loud? And No. We're, we're, we're to have order. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about Nancy Guthrie and her going to her first football game, Oregon versus Tennessee. She had never been to one before. And she said it's like a worship service. The, these people are shouting and they're singing and they're chanting. They have a school song and all these kind of things. They are passionate about what they do. The psalmist wants us to be passionate about our praise and our thanksgiving. It it, it should be like a shout. 
I, I told you that the Psalms leading up to this is, is about God being our king, about his kingdom or coming to his coordination. Think of Matthew 21, Jesus' triumphal entry. What, what happened at that period of time when Jesus is coming in? You recall they put their cloaks on the ground and they put palm leaves along the path. And then they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? The king had come. There was shouting, there was praising, there was thanksgiving. That's the exuberance that we're to bring on a Sunday morning. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Tom and Mona Lindsay are previous members of Trinity. They used to sit just right over here. Tom was a deacon for the church. He was um, an elder deacon, served clear up until the day he died. Mona sang in the choir. Mona had the voice of an angel. If it, it, you could ask anyone that's in the choir now that was in the choir then, a, a wonderful voice. Tom, not so much. <laughs> Tom is a lot like my brother Doug, who's three years older than me. Tone deaf. <laughs> my brother, bless his heart, and, and a lot like, like Tom... Um, the only way he carried a tune was in a bucket. But here's where I'm going with that. It doesn't matter if you can carry a tune or not. It doesn't matter if you have perfect pitch or not. It doesn't matter if you sing melody or harmony. What matters is what comes out of the heart, exuberant, joyful, praise for God. One Sunday, we used to always sit behind Tom and Mona, and so you didn't hear his voice very much. And one week, the way things were, we sat in front of Tom, and so I heard Tom loud and clear. But I'll never forget, because my first thought was, he can't sing. But here's what I remember about Tom. Tom was so exuberant, so joyful, so thankful in giving praise. And I could still hear his voice today. I go, that's a man of God that comes to worship in the house of the Lord. So brothers and sisters, every single Lord's Day, we come in here with an opportunity to praise our Creator and our God. And we should do so exuberantly. It, it doesn't matter if you can sing or not. Say the words. Because it's encouragement. It's evangelistic. It shows and declares your love for your Savior. And it spreads. It's contagious. So we come to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And it's for all the earth. This psalm was written to Israel. It, it wasn't intended specifically for the Gentile nations. But what Israel was supposed to do in their praise and worship, in their witness, their joyful noise was to declare it to all the earth so the Lord God could be made known. Brothers and sisters, every Lord's Day, I'm sure of it, that there's someone here that doesn't know 
the Lord our God, through Jesus Christ. How much more do you bear witness when your love and your exuberance come forth in joyful song? So let's make a joyful noise unto the Lord. The second thing that we can do is serve. This idea of serving the Lord with gladness is to actually participate in public worship. It weekly reminds us that we are to make time for this. We are to tithe our time, if you will, for worship. We, we don't come when it's convenient. We, we come to worship the one who has saved us, who has given us pardon of sin, bright hope for tomorrow, as the hymn says. We want to serve the Lord with gladness. And so we come on a Sunday morning to bring our worship to Him. But that service then rolls out to every other day of the week. Paul says in his letter to the Romans in verse 12 that we are to bring forth the sacrifice of praise because it is our spiritual form of worship. James Boyce in talking about serving in not just in the church but outside the church referenced Matthew 25 where Jesus is Words come forth, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you visited me. These are acts of kindness and mercy and compassion. Out of our thanks for God, in the way He came to us, in our greatest need, we see the needs of others. So when we come here on a Sunday morning, we can encourage one another. We can build one another up in the faith with our exuberant song and with our service to one another. But it is a, it is a testing ground. It is a, an exercise to help us go out into the world so that we can practice it and prepare for the next Lord's Day. The third way we can come before Him is to do just that, to come before His presence with thanksgiving. I think we miss this idea of coming into His presence. We get so caught up in coming to this building, this place. Where are you going? I'm going to church. Where's your church? It's at Hedgecock's in Ohio. It sits on the corner. And we think of a building and we think of this. But do you stop for a moment and think that you are coming into His presence. In Hebrews chapter 10, we see that Jesus has made the way for us. And I want you to remind you from this passage. In chapter 10, beginning at verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He has opened for us, through the curtain, that is His flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. You are being invited into the throne room to lift your praise, your thanksgiving, and adoration. Not only do we go there in time of need, but we go there in time of praise. Isn't that amazing? 
that we can come into the presence of our triune God and thank Him. No more trembling at Mount Sinai. No more fear. We come into the presence of God. So the three ways we enter, the three ways we can pray is through making a joyful noise for the sacrifice with gladness and to come into His presence with singing. Which leads us then to the two reasons for these praiseworthy exercises. And that is in verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. Know that the Lord, He is God. Two words used to refer to God. Yahweh, Lord in all caps. And Elohim, God is how it's translated here. Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, the God who has made promises to us and stands by those promises. And Elohim, this is the word that's used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. What this passage is saying is there is one God and one only. The living and true God. The one that created the heavens and the earth. Isaiah will say in chapter 40, he will talk about creation and God's sovereignty over the whole thing as if this whole creation is a vault and he is over and above it and the earth is his footstool and how glorious that is. This is our creator God. And we should, out of sheer creation in creating us, offer up praise and thanksgiving. Paul says this is a problem with humanity. In Romans chapter 1, it it says that although they know humanity, that God created them, they exchanged that truth for a lie. And they worshiped the creature rather than the Creator. We were meant to worship. We were meant to give thanksgiving. So we, the two reasons why we give thanks to God is one, He is our Creator. And that we know Him. That idea to know is to be intimately informed. To experience God at an intimate level and have a relationship with Him at an intimate level. And to know that He is the one who has made us. But then the second aspect is that we are redeemed. Not only has He created us, But He has recreated us, fallen humanity, rebellious humanity, sinful humanity, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He sent His Son to redeem us. And the beauty of this is it says now, we are His. Isn't that beautiful? God says, you're mine. Think about the possessions that you have. Anyone. Do you have a favorite possession? Maybe, maybe not. God says, you're my treasure. You're mine. So we are His. It says we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. That should make you think of another psalm. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down beside still waters. 
the goodness of Him. Or, or perhaps it may be, it makes you think about John chapter 10. Jesus, the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know my name. I call them and they come. The beauty of Jesus as our great shepherd is another reason to give thanks. He cares for us. He looks out for us. He is with us. All of these things. He is, it is He who made us and we are His. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. Not only has He made us, but He has redeemed us. Well, there's beauty in this. There's a great illustration of how great this is. And a different passage altogether. I was reading this week in a little pamphlet on messages on thankfulness. Spurgeon had one that was called, Where are the Other Nine? Taken from Luke 17. If you don't know the story, it's this. There are ten lepers. Leprosy representative of our sin, our uncleanness. They would have to cover their mouth and say, unclean, unclean, unclean. And they were cast out. They couldn't live in the cities. And so here's this group of ten lepers and Jesus is walking by. And they call out to Him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, out of compassion... He said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Can you imagine? Here, here's, here's 10 men covered white leprosy. And Jesus gives that command and they're walking and their skin is transformed. The, no plastic surgeon could do this kind of work. But on their way, they are transformed. They are new. The cleansing and pardoning of sin is what's represented there. And they're going to show themselves to the priest. That's what the law told them to do. So they aren't completely wrong in doing that. But only one, only one turns about and goes to Jesus. Only one. Then the one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He was giving thanksgiving. And he fell on his feet before Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Giving him thanksgiving. Now he was a Samaritan. He wasn't even a Jew. Jesus asks him a question. We're not that were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Spurgeon says there's a lot about thanksgiving that we can learn from this passage that applies to the very passage that we have in Psalm 100. He says out of the actions of this one leper that turns and heads to Jesus that He represents several things to us. One, the promptness of praise and the priority of praise and thanksgiving. It is the most great response that we can have. 
If someone gives you a gift, do you feel like you have to give a gift back to them to show thanks? The proper response your mother, maybe your father, taught you is to say thank you. To recognize what that other person has done on your behalf and that you have benefited from it. Spurgeon says we need to have a promptness and a priority in our thanks. We also need to have an intensity to it. We, we need to be loud and boisterous about it. Thank you so much. That is so meaningful to me. Lord, thank you. There is also an expression of humility, even though we might be boisterous in it. We, we understand our dependence upon God for the gifts of God that are given to us. This is what caused the, the leper to bow down at his feet to show not only his thanksgiving, but his absolute dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfulness always also leads to a focused worship, to not get distracted with the other things. Jesus asks this leper and says, where's the other nine? The leper doesn't go into a dissertation, well, I don't know about them, but I'm sure glad that I'm the one that came back. No, he is focused on Christ. That doesn't matter. That concern of the other nine is for the other nine. But as for him, it is to, to worship and praise and give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. It also shows his personal love and faith in the Savior. Spurgeon is trying to remind us that it is easy to forget to thank God. He says, multitudes of our brothers and sisters along with ourselves, pray and we are, when we are sick or near death. But when God's healing mercies find us, our praises grow sick and die. How true that can be. Prayer is not so heavenly an exercise as praise, he says. Prayer is for time. Praise is for eternity. Thanksgiving is for eternity. Well, this, this kind of knowledge of the reasons He's our Creator and He is our Redeemer should bring us to renew the invitation, the call to worship that is given in verse 4. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Get the, give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Three more imperatives there. Enter. Give thanks bless his name as if it's a list of priorities enter and do it frequently not just on the lord's day but every moment that you can think of it enter and give thanks bless the name of the lord it's when we do this that we have not just exuberant hearts but our love for god is rekindled and refreshed. This is why we come to worship on the Lord's Day. It teaches us the aspect of thanksgiving that involves not only ourselves, but the whole people of God. We enter in together. This has the idea of corporate worship, of a gathering together of the assembly of the saints. We should be enthusiastic because we see His work not only done in our own lives, but the lives of those that gather with us.
And we give forth that kingly praise unto Him. It is an encouraging response to the Lord to give Him thanksgiving and praise. Well, finally, the three characteristics are given at the close that speak about why we give God thanks. His very character, His very nature. There are three. God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness is to all generations. When you study about the attributes of God, you will study the goodness of God. His goodness incorporates His love, His mercy, His grace, His compassion, His kindness. All of those things come together in what we say God's goodness. And God is good. The Bible has been very clear about God is good. When He created the heavens and the earth, He saw that everything was good. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that the law that He gave, a law to live by, not to save you, but to live by, that the law is good. His ways are good. He reveals to us that His way, His will is good, pleasing, and perfect. It's Romans 12.2. The gospel itself is called good news. We should be thankful for it. So God is good. That's a reason to praise Him and give thanksgiving to Him. But He is also one of steadfast love. When we studied the book of Ruth, that word is hesed, steadfast love, loving kindness. It is His covenant love for us. It says that it endures forever. It never stops. We will be in eternity after thousands of years and His steadfast love will still be coming towards us. It never ends. But He is also faithful. He is faithful to the end. He is faithful to complete that which He started within each and every one of us. God is good. God is loving. And God is faithful. So Paul pulls these concepts together in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to remind us who we are as the people of God. He says, beginning in verse 16, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and for me. It's the will of God. You know my brother, David. He's had a brain tumor. It's now out. On Friday morning... He was in San Francisco. He went in. And I've got to be honest, I, I wondered, I'd talked to him the day before, I wondered if I would talk to my brother again. The, 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 the surgery of going into a brain, um, a lot can go wrong. 
And of course, we were praying and praying. And I sent out to many of you prayer requests for this. He was in about six and a half hours. Every moment throughout the day, I was praying. Every time that I thought of it, guide the surgeon's hands, etc. And we got word that he was out. And I was sent a picture. He was awake for the entire procedure. That thought will just blow you away anyway. His head is open and the surgeon's working on it and he's awake. But I get a picture of him about an hour after and he's sitting up in the bed in ICU. <laughs> the doctor's report is we got all the tissue I could see. We were praising God on the phone for just God's mercy and His grace. It's a much longer story, brothers and sisters. I'd be glad to share it sometime. But God's providence and sovereignty that brought these things about in the prayers of the saints, to that I give thanks. But here's the challenge to me, the challenge to you, is we cannot stop giving thanks. Our God is omniscient, He's omnipotent, He's omnipresent. He cares for us each and every day. Let us be thankful each and every day of our lives. Let us try to remember to be thankful to Him. I'll close with this. S. Lewis Johnson tells the story of a book he read about King Cyrus of Persia. And in that story, it tells of a man who was a prince in a particular kingdom. He and his family were captured by Cyrus during the wars of Cyrus. Cyrus had taken him captive, his wife and his children. One day he called for them and he set that man and that family before him. And he looked at the prince and he said, what would you give me if I set you free? He said, I will give you half of my kingdom. He said, what would you give me if I let your children go free? He said, I will give you the whole of my kingdom. He said, what would you give me if I set your wife free? He said, I will give you myself for the rest of my days. Cyrus was so moved with compassion that he sent the, set the prince and his family free. No more questions. They returned to their home. The prince said to his wife, he said, wasn't Cyrus a handsome man? Her reply was, I didn't notice. I had only eyes for him who was willing to give himself for me. Brothers and sisters, God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he gave himself for us. Not willing to give himself for us, but he gave himself for us. For us. My prayer for us, myself, 
is that we would only have eyes for Him and tongues of thanksgiving for what He's done. Let us give thanks in prayer. Father in heaven, You are a good God. You are a loving God and a faithful God. You have done more than we can imagine or think. Forgive our thankful lessness. Give us hearts of gratitude and praise like the dew every morning. Let it be new. Let us wake in the morning giving thanks for another day, for our life, our breath, our health, our families, our friends, our neighbors, our jobs. So much to be thankful for. But most of all, let us be thankful for Jesus who saved us, forgave us, and gave us life eternal. It's in His name we pray. Amen.